From Compass Media Networks, this is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. No pause in fighting. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Jennifer Koshenka on this Tuesday, October 31st. Thanks for joining us. Here's what we have for you this hour. Israel's prime minister won't agree to a ceasefire with Hamas because he feels the military pressure improves the chances of hostages being freed. Records show the Army Reserve and police in Maine were made aware of a reservist declining mental health well before last week's massacre. There are now tentative labor agreements in place at all three of the largest American automakers. GM is the latest to settle with the UAW. And at the office, hiring managers less and less impressed by where you went to college. There used to be this sort of this loose expectation that when someone got out of a four-year college, they were, you know, pretty prepared for the world. They'd had some bumps and bruises. They'd learned some things. They knew how to behave. That contract is broken because of COVID, because of helicopter parenting, because of just all kinds of things. Career expert Julie Bauke on less emphasis being placed on whether you have a college degree or where it's from. We'll start overseas. Israel is saying today that its forces attacked Hamas gunmen inside their vast tunnel network beneath Gaza. Gaza health authorities say more than 8,300 people have now been killed since Israel retaliated for Hamas's terror attacks 24 days ago. The mounting death toll has drawn calls from the United Nations, the U.S., and others for a pause in fighting to allow more humanitarian aid to reach the enclave. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says Israel would not agree to a ceasefire with Hamas in Gaza and would press ahead with its plans to wipe out the group deemed a terrorist organization by the U.S. Calls for a ceasefire are calls for Israel to surrender to Hamas, to surrender to terrorism, to surrender to barbarism. That will not happen. The Wall Street Journal says the question now is whether the Israeli army moves to quickly surround the city and then enter with overwhelming force or advance more deliberately lay siege to the group, and use air power to continue destroying its underground tunnels. House Republicans have unveiled a plan to provide more than $14 billion in aid to Israel by cutting funding for the Internal Revenue Service. With new House Speaker Mike Johnson now holding the gavel, lawmakers introduced a standalone supplemental spending bill only for Israel, despite President Biden's request for a $106 billion package that would include aid for Israel, Ukraine, and border security. The proposal by the House GOP sets up a showdown with the Democratic-controlled Senate. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said he's optimistic that Speaker Johnson will back more U.S. aid to Ukraine. And the path toward greater security for all of us is simple. Help Ukraine win the war. Mr. Johnson, who voted against aid for Ukraine before he was elected House Speaker last week, had said he wanted aid to Israel and Ukraine to be handled separately. He said he wants more accountability for money that's been sent to the Kiev government as it fights Russian invaders. The Biden administration wants more oversight of the business community when it comes to artificial intelligence. The president signed a far-reaching executive order yesterday that requires companies to report to the federal government about the risks when they're developing programs that could aid countries or terrorists to produce weapons of mass destruction. 
and at the most consequential technology of our time, artificial intelligence, is accelerating that change. It's going to accelerate it at warp speed. There are limits to his order. While Mr. Biden has broad powers to regulate how the federal government uses artificial intelligence, he is less able to reach into the private sector. NetChoice, a tech industry trade group, criticized the order as an overreach, saying it was, quote, dangerous for our global standing as the leading technological innovators. The group's general counsel says the executive order is, quote, ripe for legal action. Aging is a journey that can gather some unwanted passengers, namely those senescent or zombie cells. Hi, it's Gordon Deal, and I used to feel that sluggish middle-age mood, those aches after workouts. I could practically feel those old cells just taking up space, bogging me down. Then I found Qualia Senolytic. Think of it as giving your body a little spring cleaning, pruning away the worn-out cells, and letting the lively ones shine. And you only take it two days a month. Crafted with vegan, gluten-free, non-GMO ingredients. Plus, with a 100-day money-back guarantee, you've got a risk-free journey to rejuvenation. Resist aging at the cellular level. Try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com Gordon for up to $100 off and use code Gordon at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com Gordon for an extra 15% off. Thanks to Neurohacker for sponsoring today's show. Neurohacker.com slash Gordon. Glad you're with us. Western defense officials worry that with Israel going to war as the West battles Russia by proxy in Ukraine, there won't be enough artillery shells and other weapons to keep both allies in the fight. The issue is concerning NATO planners, even though Israel isn't a member of the alliance and few European countries supply it with military equipment. It's a story by Dan Michaels, Brussels bureau chief for the Wall Street Journal. Dan, what have you found? The war in Ukraine already was stressing parts of the Western defense industrial base. And now with uh, war in the Middle East, with Israel fighting with uh, Palestinian militants in Gaza and other places in the area, there's concern that there's going to be even more pressure on supplies and industrial capacity. And this is a big concern within NATO. I was recently at a conference among NATO planners and, and industry officials where they were talking about this, among other issues. Okay, so what's being said? What kind of uh, maybe alarms are being raised? The concern is that not everybody, not every country in NATO is stepping up its production fast enough. The U.S. has, has stepped up production on a lot of things uh, fairly aggressively. Some European countries have, but, but not all of them. And, and the feeling is that many need to do more. Industry, for its part, is saying that it can't expand production until it gets contracts from governments because the companies that produce things like artillery shells and other very basic equipment need to invest a lot of money to expand their production. And they don't want to do it without a clearer picture of what the demand is going to be for a few years out. Boy. All right, so what what's this kind of amped up demand meant for prices of things in the military industry? It's sort of a case of economics 101 that if demand goes up and supply doesn't, then the, the escape valve is prices. And according to one of the top military officials in NATO, the price of a very basic NATO standard artillery shell, the 105, 155 millimeter shell, was about 
little over $2,000 a piece before the war in Ukraine started early last year. It's gone up about four times. It's now over 8000 a piece. Man, we're speaking with Dan Michaels, bureau chief in Brussels for the Wall Street Journal. His piece is called Wars Push Up Demand for Weapons, Sparking Fears of Shortages. Um, some of the companies involved here that you heard from or spoke to are, are who and what are they saying? So in the U.S., it's all the, the big names, Lockheed, uh, RTX, used to be known as Raytheon, uh, General Dynamics, very big in production of, of land equipment like uh, artillery cannons and shells, uh, tanks. Uh, and rockets that are used, these HIMARS that have been in the news a lot, rocket launchers uh, in Europe. Um, Sweden, which hosted this NATO conference, is a big producer of military equipment. Uh, in Britain, BAE Systems, uh, really across the board in, in NATO, every country has at least some companies making part of this. If it's not whole systems like airplanes, then at least it's it's components, subsystems, or things as basic as gunpowder or other explosives, which is, which is really more an issue of chemistry than, uh, than of, of weapons production at, it, at its heart. Boy, could there really be something as a, a, a shortage of weapons? We've had it before. Uh, when um, this is a much smaller uh, conflict, but I believe it was 2011 during the Civil War in uh, Libya. Uh, the Europeans pretty much ran out of um, air-to-ground missiles and had to tap into the U.S. supply. Uh, after, after the Cold War, the West really let its uh, military-industrial base uh, dwindle. Uh, there just wasn't seen to be the need for it, and really there wasn't a need for it, but we're now seeing that there is a need, and Looking at the state of uh, politics and, and tensions in many parts of the world, it's looking more likely than not that we're going to need more rather than less of everything that militaries use. Thanks, Dan. Dan Michaels, Brussels Bureau Chief for The Wall Street Journal. 20 minutes after the hour on This Morning, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Israel says there were large exchanges with Hamas and Gaza overnight as its ground offensive continues. IDF spokesman Jonathan Conricus told ABC the Israeli military continues to widen its operations inside the Gaza Strip with more heavily armored vehicles, tanks and troops moving in. Quite a lot of Hamas operatives that try to engage with our troops are no longer among us, and we will continue to operate like that at this pace and in different locations until we dismantle Hamas. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu last night rejected calls for a ceasefire in Gaza, saying this is a time for war. The Hamas-run health ministry in Gaza says more than 8,000 people have been killed since Israel's retaliatory bombing began. Number two. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says he's optimistic. Newly elected Speaker Mike Johnson will back more U.S. aid to Ukraine as the House moves this week to advance a funding bill that provides $14.3 billion to Israel, but no money for Kyiv in the war against Russia. It's clear to me that the threats facing America's friends today are facing us as well. McConnell stressed his support for tying aid for Ukraine and Israel together in a much larger emergency funding package that would also include funding for Taiwan and U.S. border security. 
number three. Senate Democrats are intensifying their investigation into the ethics of Supreme Court justices, announcing plans to subpoena documents from three wealthy figures who helped provide trips to Justices Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito. ProPublica documented years of vacations and other benefits Dallas real estate magnate Harlan Crow has provided to Thomas. The outlet also reported that in 2008, real estate investor Robin Arkley II of Baton Rouge paid for Alito to join an Alaska fishing excursion. The committee is expected to vote on the subpoenas in November. The six-week auto strikes are finally over. The UAW and GM have agreed to a deal that will put an end to bargaining. President Biden welcomed the agreement. We're seeing this everywhere. Rail workers, port workers, teamsters, writers, health workers, and workers on other industries organizing and by collective bargaining. GM is the final Detroit automaker to reach a deal with the union. About a third of the union's 146,000 workers with GM, Ford, and Stellantis went on strike after the sides failed to reach agreements by a September 14th deadline. All right. Thank you, Jen. The new survey by ZipRecruiter finds that hiring managers are less and less impressed by where you went to college or if you have a four-year degree at all. More from Julie Bauke, career expert known as Julie on the job. Julie, what's up here? What we're learning is that not only are hiring managers not as impressed as where you went to college, but they're not as impressed if you went to college. And the reason is because they are seeing, there used to be this sort of this expectation, loose expectation, that when someone got out of a four-year college, they were, you know, pretty prepared for the world. They'd had some bumps and bruises. They'd learned some things. They knew how to behave. That contract is broken because of COVID, because of helicopter parenting, because of just all kinds of things that colleges are not necessarily putting new grads that are almost polished up and just waiting for the company to do the final polishing. So companies look at that and say, all right, so therefore, if that population of people is not meeting our needs, let's start looking elsewhere. So this is actually a warning sign for four-year colleges. Yeah. Uh, and the, the warning sign is in what way would you say? What's being taught, how it's being taught, or how much it costs? Yeah, the value of it, I would say, overall. Because when you look at the Miami University here um, in Ohio, in Oxford, Ohio, has about eight to ten majors they're, they're getting rid of because of declining enrollment, because the value of that incredible um, investment and debt is is waning. Because it, why, why else do you send your kid to an expensive four-year college to give them a leg up in getting a job and in life? But if that leg up doesn't exist anymore, or employers are seeing that as not so impressive as they used to or not so vital, then they're going to look elsewhere, and your leverage with that shiny new degree will wane. Mm. We're speaking with Julie Bauke, career strategist known as Julie on the job, and we're talking about hiring managers becoming less and less impressed by where you went to college or even if you went to college. So when your resume crosses through somebody's email or winds up on a desk, what do you think it is these days that employers prefer to see rather than maybe your college education listed near the top? lived experiences what have you done did you so did you spend your summers taking advanced classes taking advanced french or did you work at chipotle these days you know most employers are saying give me somebody who worked at chipotle give me somebody who has done the hard work and didn't do everything in their lives 
to try to make themselves all shiny for an Ivy League school. And, and you know, it's it gets to, which, so, so wh- how hard have you had to work? How much have you had to, how many times have you had to pick yourself up off the ground? What are your life experiences that are going to prepare you to come into an environment where people aren't going to treat you like a special snowflake? Julie Bauke, career expert known as Julie on the job. 30 minutes now after the hour on This Morning, America's First News. Hey there, Gordon Deal here, and everyone knows the best part of fall is the food. I found a new way to embrace the season. Hello Fresh Markets, limited time fall flavors. Let me tell you about their apple cider cake with caramel sauce. Man, so good. Are you looking for the perfect game night treat? Write this one down, barbecue pulled pork nachos. Speaking of which, I recently had the kids home from school, and HelloFresh not only saved me time, but made me look like a pro chef. Using farm-fresh ingredients, you're going to get the flavors of fall in every bite. And trust me, you don't want to miss out on the mini pumpkin cheesecake. It's perfect for a me-time treat. Want to give it a shot? Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Gordon and use code 50Gordon for 50% off plus free shipping. That's right, 50% off plus free shipping at HelloFresh.com slash 50Gordon with code 50Gordon. HelloFresh.com slash 50Gordon with code 50Gordon. Start your day smarter. You're listening to America's First News this morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for spending time with us, and welcome into Tuesday, October 31, Halloween. Gordon Deal, Jennifer Kashenka, some of our top stories and headlines. Israel's prime minister says agreeing to a ceasefire with Hamas is like a surrender. House Republicans propose aid to Israel by cutting IRS funding. GM has a tentative deal with the UAW. Police investigating anti-Semitic threats in online forums at Cornell University. Lions over the Raiders in Monday Night Football. Rangers take a 2-1 lead in the World Series. A survey says 5,000 Americans identify as real vampires. And what to reveal about your haunted home when selling. That story in about 20 minutes. This portion of the program is brought to you by Dell. Now your ideas don't have to wait. Dell Technologies and Intel are pushing what technology can do so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at dell.com slash welcome to now. Prospective home buyers are facing a difficult market right now. Not only is availability low, but mortgage rates are also at their highest level since 2000. And according to a new bank rate survey, many Americans hold beliefs towards the housing market and the home buying process that may not ring true. Here to break them down is Jeff Ostrowski, analyst at Bankrate. Jeff, it's a bad time to buy, fact or fiction? Yes, it's a bad time to buy, but there's no guarantee that things are going to get any better. Um, and so what really spurred this question was that nine months to a year ago, the, the general consensus uh, was maybe it was the smart move was to wait out the housing market. You know, the, the thought was that the Fed was going to push the economy into recession, home prices would come down, mortgage rates would come down. And, of course, neither of those things have happened. Home prices have kept going up. Mortgage rates have kept going up. And so now it's a worse time to buy than it was a year ago. And so it's just really difficult to time the housing market. Uh, it, but it's, there's no guarantee that things are going to get better. It doesn't seem like uh, home prices are going to plunge or anytime soon. There's not going to be a, a lot of supply coming onto the market. And uh, it doesn't seem as if mortgage rates are going to fall significantly. They might fall a bit in the, the coming months or over the next year. 
but uh, not going back to where we were a, a few years ago. Um, so I would say if you're if you need to buy a home, if you're financially prepared to buy a home, then then go ahead and pull the trigger. All right. So here's the thing too. You you said something that made me think of it. Uh, when home prices go soaring, I feel like they never come back down fully to where they once were. So we're never going to see some sort of plunge in housing prices, are we? Well, no, it seems very unlikely. So I guess during the Great Recession, the home prices in in some of those bubble markets did come down to to where they had been before, and in some cases came down even more. But that was a completely different market. I mean, we had a a ton of... uh, a ton of foreclosures, a ton of distressed properties uh, back then, you know, 12, 12 or 13 years ago. And so in that case, home prices did come back down to, to where they had been before the peak. But that is not what the, what this downturn is going to look like. If there is another housing downturn, it's not going to be because uh, a bunch of borrowers who were not credit worthy managed to borrow a bunch of money. Um, that That's not happening at all in this market. And so really the, the floor under home prices is the supply and demand equation. There's just a, a shortage of homes for sale, more buyers than, than sellers. And so in those conditions, it's very difficult for prices to fall at all and certainly not significantly. Mm-hmm. We're speaking with Jeff Ostrowski, analyst at bankrate.com. We're talking about housing market beliefs and whether they're fact or fiction. What else stood out to you when you were looking at this data? I So we actually were it was intriguing to hear that uh, that respondents to our survey were, were you know pretty well in line with uh, with common sense uh, so I, I mean in most of these cases fewer than than half of the people we surveyed agreed with some of these uh, statements or predictions so uh, so yeah that that was interesting it was in, intriguing that uh, that most people are sort of taking this housing market in stride and in not really overreacting as far as we, we could tell from our results. Hmm. And uh, I mean, we're in a situation too, it seems where builders are making these much larger homes than say the old starter home because they're far more profitable. It's like uh, car makers making SUVs instead of sedans. They're just more money to be made. The bigger you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect analogy. So, uh, you know, for, for decades after World War II, um, home builders were, were throwing up these new houses. So, I mean, you could buy a, a, a starter home for for 120,000 or 150,000 or whatever the number was. But uh, new homes were were plentiful. Affordability was not an issue, even with mortgage rates uh, being up in the double digits in the 80s, for instance. Um, it, it still just wasn't a huge problem for for most Americans to afford a home and, and even to to afford a, to afford a shiny new home. Mm-hmm. And since the Great Recession, that's not been the trend at all. Um, builders, as you mentioned, are very much focusing on higher end, larger, more expensive homes, um, and that's. Uh, I mean that that's exactly because of those forces you just uh, you just identified. There's uh, there's more money to be made in a larger home. Um, the the costs in terms of of land costs and, and development costs aren't that much higher per per lot for uh, for starter homes, and and so that's just really sort of economically incentivized builders to to build these these more pricey higher end homes and to build fewer starter homes. 
And so that's uh, that's sort of flowing through and just, just making it difficult for first-time buyers. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff Ostrowski, analyst at Bankrate.com. Today's mic drop is brought to you by Dell. For your small business needs, call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. Glad you're with us. Welcome into Tuesday. It is time now for the mic drop with this morning's Mike Gavin. Good morning. Well, today's Halloween, a day for spooky spirit-related mysteries, though this was likely less the work of a mischievous ghost and more likely caused by a loose paint can. For the second time in a month, Florida transportation officials are trying to get to the bottom of a mysterious yellow line that appeared in the middle of a highway in the St. Augustine area. We told you in September about the yellow line that was painted right down the middle of southbound Interstate 95 for 23 months miles, causing stress for drivers who said it looked like a traffic line painted by the DOT. The line was later removed, but officials were unable to identify its source. Now, officials in the same area have another yellow line to deal with in between two lanes on US-1. And while the official source of this road painting is unknown, from its appearance, it looks like a paint spill out the back of a van or truck Mm. rather than a deliberate attempt to deface the asphalt. Although I did see video and it did look remarkably straight for a line that was, you know, just spilled paint out of the back of a truck. Yeah. Well, I guess it would, whatever it was, it was just sort of holding steady in yeah, the lane yeah. while driving yeah. and spilling, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it, you know, but you would expect, I guess, more splatter or it to be less consistent. Like, it was just mm. a, I mean, just from what I saw, it was a very sort of consistent line as opposed to, like, a little drip here and a oh. little drip there and that kind of thing. So I I don't know about that. It's almost like the, uh, like the, like the line painting button was on. Right. Right. right? I assume yeah. that's how that's done, right? You yeah. press a button, psh, right. and the paint is sprayed. I, it's kind of weird stuff happening yeah, in yeah. Florida. And it's the that. same area. Like, it's St. Yeah. Augustine in the same yeah. exact area. And it's yellow. It's been yellow both times. So I, I don't know. Maybe this one was made to look less deliberate this time around. I don't know. What the Let's heck's see. going on? We, we don't have like enough video to like yeah. track this down or whatever? <laughs> a surveillance video? Video has not made it to the highways, unfortunately, <laughs> it appears. And uh, it's hard to believe, but we managed to make it through the entire Halloween season without arguing about Halloween candy. So this is our last chance. Instacart has once again been keeping track of the latest in candy trends, tracking the top sellers by total weight sold. These numbers are from last year, but the top 10 sellers in reverse order were Starburst, Kit Kat, Candy Corn, Sour Patch Kids, and Hershey's Chocolate. The top five were Twizzlers, Tootsie Pops, regular M&Ms, Peanut M&Ms, and Reese's Peanut Butter Cups taking the top spot. Tootsie Pops, Sour Patch Kids, and Candy Corn were new to the list, indicating an inexplicable surge in popularity. Others notable trends included Peanut M&Ms being most popular in the western U.S., along with Red Vines surging in California. Illinois, New York, and several other states are big on Twizzlers. And while analyzing how much candy was purchased per customer, Utah was tops, Mm. followed by Montana, Alaska, Idaho, and Wyoming. You say uh, Candy Corn is new to the list inexplicably. Explicably yes. having a surge in popularity. Yes. It's not inexplicable. Oh, yeah. Why is it? I've been of a, you, I've been, much? A, I've been a candy corn <laughs> promoter for years. Yes. I guess this you... Yeah, your relentless pursuit of, uh, of candy corn over the last few years has pushed it into the top spot. Years-long campaign to promote yeah. candy corn, the greatest Halloween candy. Congratulations to you. Thank you, Mike. Taking the day's information and helping you make sense of it all, we're here for you every morning. You're listening to America's First News, This Morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for spending time with us, having festive decorations, wearing costumes, and offering spooky baked treats or candy selections can be fun ways to celebrate Halloween. Fox News has tips on how to keep your Halloween practices at work professional. Number one, avoid costumes that are risque or offensive. 
Steer clear of distasteful costumes that can show too much skin or are controversial, such as religious costumes, political figures, or cultural stereotypes. Number two, decorate with taste. Adding a few Halloween-centric decorations to your workspace is acceptable, as long as your company says it's okay, and these direct uh, decorations don't create a scary or gory scene. And number three, Offer treats thoughtfully. It's absolutely fine to have a dish of candy to offer coworkers, but make sure each piece is individually wrapped. As one expert says, you don't want a dozen hands coming in for the loose candy corn. Eight minutes now in front of the hour on This Morning. Once again, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu rejected calls for a ceasefire as the Israeli military expanded its incursion into the Gaza Strip. I want to make clear Israel's position regarding the ceasefire. Just as the United States would not agree to a ceasefire after the bombing of Pearl Harbor or after the terrorist attack of 9-11, Israel will not agree to a cessation of hostilities with Hamas after the horrific attacks of October 7th. Asked at a rare news conference about the huge death toll inflicted on Palestinians by Israel's retaliatory airstrikes, Netanyahu said not a single civilian would die if they went to the safe zones in southern Gaza. But that's not possible for all the Gaza Strip residents and Israeli forces have also bombarded the territory's southern end. Number two. The gunman in last week's mass shootings in Maine threatened last month to shoot up the drill center where his army reserve unit is based, according to records released by a local sheriff. Deputies had spoken several times with concerned family members of suspect Robert Card in the months before he killed 18 people in a shooting rampage. Maine Governor Janet Mills. The Maine people deserve an answer to these questions, all of them, and that will happen in due course. Card's ex-wife and son met in May with the deputies to say Card's mental health had deteriorated and he had access to firearms. A commander had also relayed an alleged threat to the facility used by Card's military unit in Saco, Maine. Number three. President Biden has announced a $1.3 billion federal investment to build three new interstate power lines in an effort to upgrade the country's outdated electric grid and transition to clean energy. The electric transmission lines will cross through six states, Arizona, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Mexico, Utah, and Vermont. Together, the lines will aim to supply 3.5 additional gigawatts of energy to the grid, which equates to powering 3 million homes. The construction of the power lines will create about 13,000 new jobs. Corey Seager smashes the ball down the line. Goodbye! Three to nothing, Texas! Joe Davis on the call on Fox as Seager smashed a homer that rocketed off his bat at a speed few other mortals can match, powering the Rangers to a 3-1 win over the Arizona, Arizona Diamondbacks. Texas now leads the World Series two games to one. All right, thank you, Jen. Now your ideas don't have to wait. Now they have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business, evolving your passions. We push what technology can do so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at dell.com slash welcome to now. That's dell.com slash welcome to now. Want to buy or sell a home in the spirit of Halloween? The Wall Street Journal says in Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, and Minnesota, a supposed haunting is explicitly listed in disclosure rules as a non-material fact that does not need to be disclosed. Daniel Sloan lived in an Oroville, California house with his wife in the 90s. They experienced things like the sensation of someone lying in bed with them. They had a priest perform what he calls an exorcism. He didn't tell the next owner because he says the problem had been solved. 
Chris Dooley, New York real estate agent, says he recently represented a buyer for a home in Plattsburgh who was told by the seller that her dead husband, quote, comes to visit. Aaron and Nathan Braun purchased a historic home in Bend, Oregon, that they were told had happy ghosts. They say the TV turned on by itself, a door shut, and floors creaked. Mrs. Braun wondered, if everybody is in bed sleeping, who's making the noise? That'll do it for this hour. For Jennifer Koshenka and Mike Gavin, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.